Welcome to the Scale Up Your Business podcast. In this podcast, we talk about what it takes to go from startup to scale up and beyond. How to significantly grow your business, create freedom, build wealth, and live life on your terms. Featuring some very special guests and experts to give you advice and direction on your journey. And now, introducing your host, entrepreneur, investor, and scale-up specialist, Nick Bradley. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another week of Scale Up Your Business. Today, I'm really excited to have a good mate of mine on the show, um, a lady by the name of Catherine Morgan, and we're going to get into all things money, specifically your relationship with money and how this can impact not just your business success, but your, you know, how you feel about your life and just generally how you manage your emotions. Now, and I say, you know, Catherine and I are friends. We actually met when we were doing a mastermind together, a marketing mastermind. And it was one of those situations where we just kind of got on really well. And uh, we talk a bit about that story in the, uh, in the episode today. And this is actually a joint podcast. So in other words, What's uh, coming out on Scale Up Your Business is also going to be um, shared on her podcast, and um, and we're going to be launching the same week. Her podcast is called In Her Financial Shoes, and specifically, if you're a woman who wants to kind of really improve your relationship, your mindset with money, I recommend that podcast. It is fantastic. So just a little bit more about Catherine. So she is the CEO of The Money Panel. And that's a multi-award winning business that provides specifically financial coaching to women and training to financial advisors who want to integrate coaching into their business. And she's on a mission to change the financial services profession to focus more on people and their relationship with money and to equip and prepare women to be financially resilient. So she's been featured as one of the top 32 female entrepreneurs to look out for in business leader. And she's regularly seen in newspapers, on other podcasts, all over the place. Um, she's been doing a great job over the last year, certainly since I've known her, really making a difference to people's lives, which I love. So as I said, this is a conversation. It's a joint podcast. So we kind of just riff back and forwards about money mindset. But I loved having this conversation. As I said, I know Catherine really well. I love what she's doing. And as much as scale up your business, we, we talk a lot about all the, the mechanics of business. You know, ultimately, it's about financial freedom. Ultimately, it's about wealth creation. And, you know, one of the key things around that is, is the, the relationship that anybody has to have with money. So there we have it. I'm delighted to have Catherine Morgan on Scale Up Your Business. I hope you enjoy the show. Okay. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Scale Up Your Business Live today. And we're recording a podcast as well. I'm delighted to have on the show a really good friend of mine. We've been talking about this for so long. So welcome, Catherine Morgan. Thank you. Wow. What an introduction to your podcast. I'm sitting here thinking, wow, I need to get some of this action on mine too. This is great. Oh, uh, you, know, you know what's the funniest thing, Catherine, is my hair. Like, you know, I've had a haircut since then. And all of that stuff was recorded like in the COVID lockdown piece where I like, you know, literally had like, you know, stuff going down the back of my neck. So it's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're doing um we're doing a joint podcast today. So we're going to be um publishing this show on Scale Up Your Business and on Catherine's amazing podcast, which is called In Her Financial Shoes. I'll let Catherine do an intro of herself in a second, but just to say very quickly, we, we've known each other for what, 
good year or so now, haven't we? It must be like that. And and I've got to say, Catherine is absolutely like what she does. And she's, I'm like, I kind of want to say what you do. When you can introduce up. What she does is so amazing and so really, really um, poignant for what we need right now. Uh, is that I've been looking forward to having this conversation for some time. So, Catherine, welcome. Yeah, thanks so much, Nick. And can I just say, like, so Nick and I met at a uh, marketing mastermind, and actually, I think it was two years ago, Nick. I think we've known each other for two years. It's got to be something I'm like that. Fine. <laughs> when I first met Nick, I walked up to him and said, you look like my twin brother. Like, I'll, I'll somehow share a photograph of my brother with you because he's like literally exactly like Nick. It's, it's just it's quite funny. Um, so that's what drew me over to across the room to go and chat to Nick. I was like, <laughs> it was my amazing aura. of. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I'm really delighted to come on your podcast today, Nick. And um, so I, my entrepreneurial journey started a couple of, well, only four years ago, really. I've had previous businesses to the one that I'm currently, um, that I currently run, which is the Money Panel. But really, my mission is to equip and prepare a million women to be financially resilient with the focus very much on how we behave around money and the focus in the financial services um, industry about being about people, not about products, because I've been in the financial services industry now for, well, since I was 18. So 20 odd years, just giving away my age. Um, and, you know, there is, we do have some problems and challenges in the financial services profession. And so if I can help to contribute in a small way to helping people to feel that they can get rid of those money blocks and get rid of those self-sabotaging beliefs that hold them back from scaling up, that hold them back from charging their worth in their services, that hold them back from feeling empowered to make better decisions around money, then I've done my job on the planet. <laughs> wow. See, see that intro is so much better than I would have said. <laughs> and you know what? It's been awesome watching your journey over those couple of years too, because you've always been really focused, I think, in terms of what you're trying to do, your purpose, um, and particularly who you help. As you said, you help women, you focus on helping women. I think today we're going to kind of just talk about um, that more generally, um, certainly for the scale of your business listeners, because I, I often think about money, the relationship with money. Um, I've had my own issues with it, you know, certainly growing up. And a lot of that, I think, comes from patterning and things that have happened with my upbringing and be good to get your perspective on that. But um, we can get into all those things. So I'll do a quick intro um, for all of um, your listeners, Catherine. So um, everyone knows me on this show. Uh, Nick Bradley, uh, business growth expert, uh, 10 years in private equity. I tend to specialize in working with companies that are around about the sort of seven to eight figure mark and are trying to sell for eight to nine figures. So I tend to come in at the later stage of a business, not the early stage, even though the, the principles and the foundations are important at startup as much as they are in scale up. But it's where someone has the ambition to create wealth through what we call a capital event and exit of their business. And they want to build towards that. But at the same time, they want to be able to focus enough on the day to day to make sure that they're doing the things that are going to drive growth and drive drive their ambitions around that. So that's what I do. Uh, and I love it. It's my passion. Yeah. And what I love about what you do, Nick, as well, for the purpose of my listeners on the podcast, is that often when we start businesses, we don't think about selling the business and that's a really interesting point in itself um because actually if you don't know your exit strategy how do you know how you're going to develop your business and i think it's a really important part certainly something that i don't think my listeners we've ever really spoken about on the podcast is that when you're building your business and you know your north star you know your mission and purpose on the world how do you know what that even looks like i'd love to get your perspective on that nick 
How do you yeah. know what your scale up or your exit strategy is in your business? Yeah, I mean, listen, this is a really interesting um, thing to start with, I think, because it, it'll cross over to kind of decisions and choices and and how you kind of um, do what you do to kind of create those things. But um, the, the short answer is this, is that some people, when they first start their business, they start their business because they want to create wealth for themselves. And they've already got an indication that they have an idea about what that means. So there's a number of um, companies that come and pitch for me, pitch to me for investment, and they say, no, my company's going to be a unicorn. Now, for definition for everybody listening, that means a, a company that's valued at um, a billion dollars or more. And of course, I kind of love the ambition when someone says that, but I also kind of laugh a little bit because I've had so many people say that. But at least they've got some direction. And, and what I say is if you're starting a business, you know, you need to have a think if you're going to be creating something which is going to be for lifestyle. So is it is it a salary? Is it something which you don't want much complexity? You want to have a good income. You want to have the freedom of what entrepreneurship can bring. And if that's what your ambition is, if that's your North Star, then that's absolutely fine. Then you start to move up the chain from there. So a lot of people who kind of come into business and they have that early success, so they have a lifestyle that, that is now being supported by their business, they then start to think, well, actually, is there is there something else? And scale-up is kind of the journey after that. And how far you go with scale-up is a choice. So you can scale your business up by having, you know, 10 to 20 employees, and then it becomes more complex but can be more valuable. But again, that could be the limit that you want to go. Then you could move it um, much more. You could have hundreds of employees, and you could start to think about um, more strategic things like having groups of companies or divisions. And then you can go all the way to an empire. And I talk about empires as being really scalable, sizable entities which can create um, huge amounts of impact in the world. And that's not for everyone um, because it has heaps of complexity, but you have to change your identity massively from who you were as a person starting a business to someone who can create that. So the answer to your question is, I don't think everyone knows straight away, but you know, the, the thing is the limit of where you can go is kind of untapped and you can only really discover that journey journey once you start. Yeah, the, I think the point you made as well there, Nick, about the life, is it a lifestyle business that you're building or is it an empire? Is this, a, is this impact that you want to have? Because that can change the whole way that you develop your business. Because a lot of the time we just feel like we should build business in a certain way because we look at everybody else, don't we? Comparatinitis yeah. is one of the worst evils on the planet. We look at what everybody else is doing. We think that, well, if I become a six-figure business owner, then I'll, maybe I'll be happier or I'll feel more deserving because that's what everybody else is doing. So I think it is really important to ask yourself that question. Are you a lifestyle business or are you an empire? Yeah. And you have to have, you know, to your point, you have to have some direction. So what I find a lot when, you know, we get involved in businesses, usually at the latter stage, but we still try and educate and inform businesses that are earlier stage. Um, and what often happens is there's two things. So one of the one of the principles of scale up is is purpose, and that's not just um, an ethereal thing. It's about you know vision and it's about strategy. So it's about knowing where you want to go to. And it's about having a plan, a compelling plan to get there. Now, a lot of businesses have a strategy, but they don't have a vision, and that seems a bit odd. But they kind of keep just doing stuff, but it's not compelling enough to either excite them for something that's going to be, you know, can be a challenging ride growing a business. And it's not going to be um, compelling enough to uh, bring your team, bring your people with you. So, so in that, in that situation, I always say, even if you do want to sell your business at some point, if that is in your frame, you know, set that intention, but don't necessarily obsess about it. 
right? You know, set the intention and then get to work on the day-to-day because getting to work on the day-to-day is going to get you to that outcome um, with more, um, uh, more, you know, reality, if you like, than, than just being distracted. Yeah, that's a great. That's a, yeah, thank you for sharing that. That's really interesting. I'm so I'm sure my viewers are already sitting there pondering: Do I have the scope <laughs> or do I have the vision? Yeah, and you know, it's it's without. I don't want to over over intellectualize this stuff, but where I think um, the stuff that you do and the stuff that I do comes together is is definitely around the mindset and and the kind of identity of who you are as the leader, you know, of your business of whatever type and. And that's one of the things with Scale Up Your Business with my podcast that's been successful has been that it's not really about business. It is about business, but it's really about the identity of the person who wants to create something special, right? And that's and that's the bit that's kind of like the secret sauce that people get once they once they kind of get into it. Yeah. I love the fact we've already mentioned secret sauce and unicorns already. We've only like 10 minutes in. My house, my house is full of full of young girls, so unicorns are a common <laughs> common discussion. So let's talk about let's talk a little, a little bit about kind of w- what you do in your story as well, because I'm fascinated by this, and I don't think we've ever had the conversation to a, to a, a depth that I'd like to today. But when you're when you're looking at money and you're looking at finances, and and you see where people start to either do really well, in other words, they start to feel very comfortable around money, or they really struggle. What are the key things, Catherine, that kind of underpin that that sort of journey and that and that philosophy? Yeah. So the the best way to describe this is perhaps for me to just take a few minutes to share my story around money because this is what led me into this whole space. Um, people talk a lot about money mindset, and actually, what is money mindset? You know, money money mindset is about the stories that we tell ourselves about our relationship to money. And some of you listening to this may have never even thought about this. You know, what what is the meaning that you attach to money? So I'll just share a little bit about my story and my relationship with money to kind of put this into context. So when I was growing up around uh, in the financial services industry, so when I was 18, I, I started working at the bank. And over the next kind of 15 years, I worked my way through lots of different variations of roles. I went and worked out in the Channel Islands. Um, But over that time, I had a really, really bad relationship with money. And this stemmed right back through when I was a teenager. And I was badly bullied at school. I had eating disorders all through my teenage years. But it wasn't really until I became a parent that that whole relationship changed. And I actually even started to think about my relationship with money. I just always believed that I was an overspender, very spontaneous with money, would just spend money like it was you know, paper money. And I never had any awareness over what I was spending. And I was giving financial advice. So you can imagine the judgment, the shame, the guilt, all of the emotions that come with the meaning that we attach to money. And it was actually when my second son was born that it really, really struck me about how self-sabotaging my relationship with money really was. And it was actually on the 1st of October. We're recording this on the 30th of September So tomorrow will be the anniversary for me of the day when I woke up. It was the 1st of October 2013. And we had a pretty disturbed night's sleep that that prior evening. And Thomas was fidgeting. He didn't want to eat. He didn't want to sleep. He was just just not himself. And that particular morning, I took my toddler, who was two and a half at the time, off to nursery. And I had a friend coming around to do these baby hand castings when, you know, you put their hands in this kind of soft clay and it leaves these beautiful prints 
And that particular morning, my friend had her baby's session done and it was my turn to go and get Thomas out of the Moses basket. And I walked over to the bay window in my house and I picked him up out of his Moses basket and he screamed at me. And this wasn't a don't pick me up, I'm tired cry. This was a oh, my God, don't touch me, put you know, cry. And I remember turning to my friend and saying, something's not right with him. I think I'm going to take him to the doctor's. And so I did a booked a GP appointment for that afternoon. And as I took him out of the Moses basket, I undid his baby grow to reveal his hands and his feet. And his hands were like ice. And I remember thinking, well, it is the 1st of October. It's, you know, it's a bit chilly, but the heating's on. That, that's really strange. And I quickly did his hand casting, wrapped him back up again, put him in the Moses basket. And I turned to my friend and I said, would you mind leaving? Because I, I want get, to get into the doctor's. So my friend left and I walked back over to the Moses basket and Thomas was just lying as still as a mouse. And he was blinking really slowly, but like he was in pain and every blink was was painful. And he looked a little bit grey and very, very still. And I picked up the phone uh, to my husband and I said, I'm taking him straight down to a and I'm not taking any chances. And within 20 minutes of arriving at A&E, his skin started to mottle. He wasn't doing anything or saying anything or communicating at all. He was quite listless. And I'll never forget the moment when the doctors put me on a wheelchair. Thomas was in my arms and they wheeled me into resuscitation. And I remember thinking, wow. Wow. So that timing I'm so I'm I mean that's I'm just thinking I hadn't heard that story fully like that before I knew you'd mentioned it but I mean the timing of that's just incredible like you got there literally just in time literally I mean mum's intuition is dad's intuition is incredibly powerful and I mean to, to shorten this the, the the kind of final part of that story when I was in hospital the doctors kept saying sepsis and I remember thinking I think I know what sepsis is, but I'm not 100% sure. Later, they actually did a lumbar puncture and diagnosed him with bacterial meningitis, which is the worst form of meningitis. But mm. because they got him in so quickly, he was absolutely fine and now is a very happy seven-year-old boy. But what happened for me within that moment of being in hospital when these doctors were using jargon that I didn't understand, I felt judged. I felt judged as a mum that why do I not know that sepsis is the biggest killer of newborn babies? Why do I not know that the symptoms are cold hands and cold feet and murmuring in their sleep? And when I went back to work at the bank, I actually was diagnosed with PTSD because I went, I, I was so fearful of him being in pain and I couldn't do anything to control it that I then started to overspend because that was my way of trying to control and hide my emotions about a situation that I didn't want to think about. Um, mm, interesting. I sat there in the bank thinking, how many people feel like this about money? How many people have had experiences in their life, in their childhood, which is when we form our relationship with money is at the age of seven. So think back to what did you hear about money at the age of seven? When I was seven, my parents were going through a messy divorce it wasn't, you know, my dad was very wealthy. He was an entrepreneur and my mum worked part time to pick us up from school. And so there was this complete like comp com like contrast between poverty, not poverty, but just having just about enough. But anytime we wanted anything, it was go and ask your dad. And then my dad having lots of money, but not using money to treat us in any way. Um, or he did in some ways, but not in others. So when I then started receiving money, 
I would get rid of it as quickly as possible because that was what was familiar to me. And so that whole story just really made me think about my relationship with money and how I was actually self-sabotaging my own financial success because I was looped in this negative cycle of overspending in an attempt to try and hide the shame, the guilt, the fears that I was feeling around money. So that, I mean, the story is powerful in its own right. And, you know, thank God it ended well, um, because there's a lot of stories that don't end well like that. But the question came to mind as you were sharing that is, obviously, that brought brought out that emotion. And I can see why. But what happened before that? Were you were you still having, say, using spending as an outlet, um, an emotional outlet prior to that, but it just got intensified after the, the situation with your son? Yeah, the, 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 at its peak, I would say it intensified when I was in my uh, early teens, my 20s, because what was familiar to me was being stuck in debt. It was familiar. So I just repelled wealth as soon as I received it. And I was you know, earning good money at the bank. And particularly when I was working in the Channel Islands, I repelled it because it was familiar to me. And if, if you think about it from a neuroscience perspective, um, the brain doesn't like anything complicated. It likes to seek and support our feelings and thoughts. So if your thoughts and feelings are that you don't deserve wealth, that money doesn't grow on trees, that only, you know, rich people are greedy, all of these things that we hear about money growing up or see and observe, then our brain will just look for more evidence to support that belief. And so that was my belief is that, well, I've got money now. What do I need to buy? And I would just fill my wardrobe with clothes. I was, you know, I would have six, seven wardrobes full of clothes because I had no confidence in my body. I had a lot of body shame, which stemmed back to my being bullied at school and trying to be perfect. And, try, you know, and that still plays out for me now, actually. I still feel that in business, things have to be perfect to do a Facebook Live, to deliver a course, you know, all of it to run a podcast. It's got to be perfect. And I've really had to focus on actually perfection is not about success. You can have success without being perfect and vice versa. Um, and so I think that a lot of people can relate to this. A lot of people can relate to feeling those feelings of perfection, not not feeling worthy that are all stemmed from childhoods, but they stay with us as an adult. And we now have that choice that you were saying, Nick, we have that choice to be able to decide for ourselves um, what decision am I going to be making today? What elements of that inner critic am I going to be listening today to say thank you for telling me that I've got a spot on my face, so I'm not going to do a Facebook Live, but actually I'm not going to listen to that and I'm just going to do it anyway. <laughs> so how do you, okay, so this is just to be practical for people listening, and I'm sure some of your listeners have heard this before, but it's it's new for, for certainly the scale up your business crew. How do you start to do the, the inner work to start to understand all that? Because I know we're talking about money mindset, but actually what you're talking about is mindset in general. Any of those things that could have happened as programming as a young person can impact decisions and choices you make on the stuff I do, the stuff you do, anything, even relationships. It's not just about business. So how do you, where do you start with that? How did, how did you do that? How did you start to work on yourself to be able to now advise people? Yeah, it's a really good question. And I think that the, the word I would use is curiosity. Okay. So just bring some curiosity to what did you hear about money growing up? What experiences maybe did your parents or people that you were around, significant people, um, whilst you were growing up? What impact did that have for you? What, you know, what messages did you hear? Some people can very easily recall that their dad said money doesn't grow on trees or rich people yeah. are greedy. Um, but often it's very difficult to recall that information. So what you can think about is to bring some curiosity to how did you feel about money growing up? 
so it's we kind of using the emotional part of the brain rather than the logic side of the brain you know what do you remember feeling about money did you feel that there was never enough money that that's a big one for a lot of people people who grew up and I find this particularly with entrepreneurs is a lot of them have come from poverty or come from difficult financial situations and that actually that's driven them to be successful because they feel like they have something to prove because there was that feeling of not enoughness and when you have that feeling of not enoughness the way that we act around money is then driven by fear fear of not having enough fear of not launching something and being financially successful so that you can have a secure financial life in retirement for example a lot of women I work with feel like when they get to their 50s that it's too late you know and then they start beating themselves up that oh if I'd have made that decision 10 years ago if only I'd done this 20 years ago if only I'd listened to my dad who told me to put 25 quid into a pension at the age of 18 which let's face it who wants to do that at the age of 18 right you know, we, then we start to make so many judgments about ourselves. So I think the first step is about just bringing some gentle curiosity to what did you hear about money growing up? What did you feel about money growing up? And if, and if you're clear on that point, because um, as you're talking, my, my background is not dissimilar to you. So I had a um, different, different story, but um, had, uh, I was surrounded by poor choices about money. Well, actually, I was surrounded by conflicting choices. So I had a grandfather who was very um, focused on you never get in debt and you save everything. And and he ended up paying for me to go to a really good private school, literally put money away, put money away. And, you know, back then that was a huge investment. And I was the only, I think I was the first person in my family to go to university as a result of that, that education and that sort of pathway. And then um, I sort of had sort of my mum's side, my stepfather and things like that, you know, a lot of money would come in and then go out really, really quickly, like buying frivolous things. Mm. And I've always been so obsessed, and I'll use that word deliberately, around not being like that. And so I've had tendencies at times to, and never crazy amounts, I never go out there and just spend all my money, but I would, I, I still do sometimes buy things for that instant gratification. And I know what it comes from, but I catch myself. But it's definitely a pattern that I saw when I was a seven to 11 year old boy. Yes. Yeah, so what's interesting about that, Nick, is that first of all, I would always think about always go to the positives. Like, what did that teach you about money? How does that how does that play out for you now in terms of what what benefits does that bring to the way that you behave around money? So I'd always think about the positive first and then you can start to think about some of the challenges um, you know, so having that relationship with money, going through that experience of being the only one who goes been put through private school and then off the university, what impact did that have for you, and and what meaning did you therefore attach to money? Yeah, I mean, the, the big answer to that is I've now got seven companies, <laughs> and, <laughs> and I've got and I've got a different trajectory of wealth creation, um, partly because I had to go out there and explore different things. So to your point around curiosity, um, I needed to change change that trajectory um in terms of if i if i hung around that environment you know my fear was that i would end up in that same place you know always think of money as a struggle as opposed to anything else um and i needed to get better education i needed to be around people who had created wealth different in different ways but it also had a different relationship with money and that was i made that decision when i was really young i made that decision when i was 21. I, I wonder, just listening to you there, Nick, as well about the the link there for you then between education 
and money. And actually, and I know for a fact that you invest a lot of your wealth and money into learning. That's a really important part of what you do and how you grow your businesses. In fact, I think you and I were talking about uh, last time we met the... um, I forget which one it was. Was it Daniel Priestley's work that you were doing, or it was with Tony Robbins? I think it was. God, I've got Dan. There's a mix now. I've had. I, you're right. I have invested a lot in myself <laughs> with some amazing mentors. Daniel's stuff is pretty impressive on 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 that. But I mean, I I can't remember. Sometimes it just mixes together. Do you know what I mean? Like you have so many. Mm-hmm. I try not to overwhelm myself with this stuff now. I'm very very focused on who I want to get close to for the right reasons to learn certain things. But mm-hmm. to your point, um, and I'm a big advocate of this. I, I think, and I don't want to get into this on this conversation today because it would detract us but i don't think the right the right lessons and the right learning happens at school anyway and i think back to the i had to go out there and learn the stuff i've learned now the last 15 years has come from getting close to people who have created success from money you know have created wealth from money and those things Um, i didn't get any of that as a kid and i didn't get any of that at school i love how you just described that people who created success and wealth from money like that was that's that was really powerful for me creating wealth from money because a lot of people will think well wealth is money but it's no, not it's no not. no it's a very good um it's a very good insight you've picked up there because remember you know one of my big beliefs is that you work on yourself first right in whatever shape that is so one of the things i believe is um it's who you become that defines your success right and some of that comes from being around the tony robbins stuff the jim rohn stuff but the more that you can work on yourself is going to give you the blueprint. It's going to give you the opportunities, the mindset, all those things. So, so that's why I think today, even even though we're talking a lot about different elements, the, the thread around our conversations mindset, because the more that you can kind of create that identity of yourself, which a lot of that means breaking down self-limiting beliefs, um, having a greater vision for who you are and who you're becoming, then opportunities tend to, I don't know about you, but for me, opportunities just tend to present themselves. You know, I think they were always there, but you see them for the first time. Yeah, and I think that that's a really good point because actually for a lot of people, when you do work on mindset, if you strip mindset right back, mindset is about how you think, how you feel um, and how you behave. It's those three things. So if what I see as quite problematic for many people is they focus on the behavior first They'll wake up on a a Monday morning and say, right, today I'm going to start my new exercise routine um, or I'm going to start my new diet or whatever the behavior is that they want to change. And what happens is, first of all, they're not necessarily motivated. There's no internal motivation. Um, And we know that we have both internal and external motivators. So wealth is an external motivator, but it's how it makes us feel, the internal motivation that makes the difference. That's where the mindset comes in. So if we can think about, well, bring some curiosity to our beliefs about money. What are we saying to ourselves? What do you say to yourself about money? Um, Because that infers your emotions and emotions are incredibly powerful. Most people make decisions from a place of emotion whether that's fear, whether it's excitement and adrenaline and happiness, um, or whether it's, you know, well, I'm going to make this decision because I fear that if I don't do it, something bad's going to happen, or I'm feeling anxious. So you're being driven by the negative emotion. So mindset is about those three things. It's about what you're saying to yourself that infers the emotion that you're feeling, and then that infers the behavior. So if you want to change the behavior, you've got to change what you say to yourself first. Yeah, and I and I think I love that, and I, I haven't heard it explained like that before. It's nice, nice way of putting together. 
Because I think, you know, you, a lot of people, back to your point, think they think wealth and money are the same thing, right? But you can be wealthy with not having much money, right? Again, mm -hmm. it comes back to how you think about it and how you feel. But um, someone said to me um, once, and I love this, um, they said that if you want to create, um, let's say you want to become rich, right? So now we're talking about kind of, you know, um, money in the bank, so to speak, or investments. Uh, he said to me, he said, um, wealth is a reflection of your spirituality, right? Really a bit out there, but the way he said it's, it's, it's a reflection of your spirituality and it's measured by the number of zeros in your bank account. And what he meant was two things. He said it's firstly how you identify yourself in terms of, um, you know, having faith in, in kind of, you know, you know, your own purpose, what you're trying to achieve, your own ability. But then it's about um, how you help people. So it's that, that quote from Zig Ziglar, if you help enough people get what they want in life, you'll have everything you want. And his whole point is if you're focused on actually adding value and helping people, the zeros in the bank account are a byproduct of that um, belief and that action as opposed to the other way around where people say, I need to get rich, I need to get rich. And then they, they become insular as opposed to thinking more expansively. So when you help people to scale their business then, Nick, are you focusing more on strategy or mindset? Do you know, I've reflected on this question so many times. And what I'm going to say is when I first thought about creating the world that I now live in, and I created it first in my head, I planned this. It was super intentional. I started off with the mechanics. So I started off with strategy and operations. I thought, well, what have I done for 10 years that's really helped businesses grow, create value for um, founders and investors? And it was the strategy. It was how do we get from A to B? It was quite clinical. It was precise. It's all the stuff that I, I like talking about. But then as I started to go deeper and, you know, to use your word, become more curious about everything, I realized actually it was it was more about mindset. So so the answer, not being a hedge, is is to have exponential growth, either personally or in a business or, or exponential wealth and, and richness or whatever you want to call it. You have to manage both your mindset, how you show up. So that's why I say, you know, be grateful, be brave, have faith, show up. That's about managing yourself. It's your state. But you also have to have the mechanics. You've got to have the tools. If you put both of those things together and you really go at it, then I haven't seen, I'll be really blunt, the businesses I've worked with, I haven't seen a business fail to get to where they want when they've put those two things together powerfully. It's when the magic happens, isn't it? It's, it and it's yeah. so funny that... And I'm glad I asked that question, actually, because hearing you say that directly relates to how, you know, how has someone gone from 20 years of financial advice into now talking about money mindset? That's the reason is because it's not just about the practicalities. We all know that we should be spending less than we earn. We know we all know we should have a spending plan. We all know we should be investing. We know these things, but we're not always following those good behaviors because of how we feel and think around money, around our mindset. So it is that when those two things come together, that's when the magic happens. There's also there's also another point to what you just said. It's it's just as easy to do the things we know we should do as it isn't. Mm -hmm. And so I actually, it's funny, I did a podcast. My next um, podcast coming out on Monday, I do this 15-minute one now. It's called Discipline. And it's exactly that point is we all know that if we want to lose weight, we need to eat less and exercise more. If we want to kind of create, you know, financial wealth, we need to save and invest more than we spend. And we need to make sort of better choices around that sort of stuff. If we want to have a great relationship with our 
our spouse and our kids, we need to invest time and be present. We know that, right? But, you know, how many times do you sit there with the phone out when you're supposed to be talking to the kids? How many times do you go and buy that thing that in five minutes you don't really want and the kind of flash in the pan of excitement goes away? So it's, it's, it's one of those concepts, I think, Catherine, where it's very, very simple, practically. It's very easy to understand, but the actual doing it, the thing that defines people who really get what they want in life and don't is the ability to be disciplined around this stuff. Yeah, and and also what you were talking about there is it's about what we spend is what we value and what we value is what we seek. So what is it you're seeking more of? Because sometimes it's about... Um, getting rid of things not creating more things you know we live in a very consumerist yeah all, it's all about having more of something but actually the law what the, the law of subtraction talks about is um what can we be removing from our lives that can stop us from scaling up that can stop us from having that financial success or from making better to financial decisions um, and so that's really powerful you know thinking about if i put my phone down for 30 minutes less then what does that show you in terms of value? You're valuing time. You want that time back that you can spend with your family. And, and whenever I do a, a spending plan for people, I always get them to think about that. You're, you know, it's not about a budget planner that's about restricting money. This is about looking at creating a financial plan that is linked to your values. So if you're spending £100 a month on books, well, then clearly you're probably valuing education and knowledge, and that's important to you. That doesn't mean that anybody should say that you shouldn't be spending that because that's just what's important to you. So I think linking this whole, this whole conversation back to your value, your purpose, your mission, and focusing on that in your business can help you to understand what is your exit strategy? How are you going to scale up? Is it strategy help that you need? Is it mindset or is it a bit of both? Yeah, and, and um, it's funny when we go in to help businesses and we, we play both the uh, the person and the business. So there's the leader, the founder, and there's the business. And we do an assessment against all of that because ultimately, as I said to you, it's both things. And you'll find that there are just chinks. And I love your point around it's about what you take away, not what you add. A lot of it is about focus and a lot of it's about getting clear. And the more that you can create that clarity, it's easier to build plans around that, you know, in terms of daily habits, daily actions, um, getting people more focused on exactly what their results and outcomes should be. And it's funny, a lot of times people kind of get overwhelmed in the beginning because they think, oh, my God, I'm now going to have so much more structure around what I'm doing. But actually what you're doing is you're actually creating structure around the things that only matter. So they're actually getting more freedom through that. And once they start to see that, Back to my point beforehand, their results go through the roof. You know, they really start to see things happening because you've changed so many things, but you've done it in in a way which is manageable as well. So you must you must hear that word freedom a fair bit, I imagine, from businesses that you're working with, Nick. Yeah, I um, well, people listen. At the end of the day, freedom is kind of the driving force behind why a lot of people do what we do, right? Entrepreneurship is not for everyone it's the roller coaster ride as we've said but it is one of those things that people they they want to have more choice they want to um, be able to live life on their terms and and the money side of it just becomes this is the way i think of it money is just one of those things that if it's if you've got enough that it allows you to have freedom whatever that figure is for you for me for anybody then generally people are pretty happy with that part of their lives so the number's always different so it's not about the number it's about what the number allows you to do 
Okay. Mm. Um, but yeah, I often say it's about creating freedom. It's about creating freedom for creating wealth, but it's also about making an impact. And if you can bring all those things together and that's your journey and you do it through the vehicle of a business, through entrepreneurship, then that's that's where I like to play. So we're we're getting close to the end. In fact, I think we're there. You know what? We could have I knew this was gonna happen. I knew we could have kind of like just kind of gone on and I would love to go deeper into some of the the more tactical stuff, Catherine, that you do, because even some of the the sound bites you've said today about how people should think and just that the powerful questions that you've posed, I think is such a valuable thing. I think more people need to kind of hear this message. Uh, male or female, because I think there's still many issues around money, money mindset, money management that need to be unearthed. Yeah, well, perhaps we, we need to do like a, a second part two at some point. Let's do that. Yeah, for sure. Well, listen, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on the show. As I said, I've been waiting to do this for ages. I know our schedules are just crazy. So, and I can see by some comments here that are coming in. We've got um, Andrea, we've got Richard, Jamie, some really cool comments saying, yeah, this stuff is fantastic. So, so thanks for everyone for tuning in. Thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, let's, let's, get, a, let's get a part two in at some point. <laughs> thanks, Catherine. Thanks so much, Nick.